Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, so good to have all of you at all of our churches today. And today we are wrapping up our four-week-long four emphasis on how to give, serve, and love. And the reason that we have been focusing on this for the last four weeks is this, is because everyone matters to God whether God matters to them or not. And because they matter to God, they should absolutely matter to those of us who say that we love God. And fact, as a matter of fact, one of the things we've learned over these last three weeks in this conversation is it is impossible for us to love God and not love the people who really matter to God. And that is every person that you'll ever lock eyes with because Jesus died for every person from every generation and from every nation. So every year we collectively come together and we say, hey, let's just get better at loving people. Let's practice this. Because the truth is, we have to practice it because it is just not easy. It's not easy to do. It is so much easier to say, I want to love people like Jesus loves people than to do that. See, loving others the way that Jesus loved us, that is so challenging. And I'm just telling you, it takes a lot of effort and it always requires something from us because don't ever forget this statement, love always requires sacrifice. So the easy thing would be just to not worry about it. The easy thing to do would be to love the people who are easy to love, love when it's kind of convenient to love, and just kind of take care of yourself and, and just let the rest of it just kind of go by the wayside. But the problem with that approach of just saying, you know, we're just going to do the easy thing is, at least for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, is we say that we want to love God. And Jesus taught that it's impossible to be good at loving God if we're not good at loving one another. Like the two are one and the same. In fact, let me just show you from Scripture and a conversation of Jesus this morning why we say that. See, one day, the Pharisees, they decided that they were going to try to trap Jesus and they were going to ask him this tricky question. And their, their idea was if they could get him to say the wrong thing, then he'd lose the influence with the crowd that he had following him and it would give them the evidence that they needed to condemn him. And so then they could do away with Jesus. So they gather around Jesus and one of their experts in the law, they asked Jesus this question. Here's what he asked him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. If you're following along, we're gonna start. It says, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Now you talk about a loaded question. It's like when you used to look at your parents and you go, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> you know, that's just not a fair question. And your parents knew it wasn't a fair question, so they would always name another kid besides you, wouldn't they? Because, like, they knew it was loaded. Well, this is not a fair question either. See, the Jews believed that every command came from God, and they did. So how do you pick which is the greatest command in the law? See, if Jesus picks one of the commands, then they can say that he's discounting all the other commands. But let me just kind of give you a quick life tip, and that is this. Never try to outsmart God. You always lose when you try to outsmart God. And they lost because they did not see it coming, what Jesus was going to say next. Notice what he says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Now, when you look at that at first glance, you go, well, that feels like a pretty safe answer, doesn't it? I mean, like, if I've got to pick one of the commands, I'm going to pick, like, the one that goes with God, the basic one, just love God. But here's the problem. 
Nobody knows if you're really loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Think about that. Because loving God is so intangible and it's so invisible. It's kind of like this vertical thing that's just between me and God. So is there really any way to measure it? Now, there are some people who've come along and they've created some boxes that you check to prove that they love God. In fact, that's kind of what the Pharisees did in their day. It's why they were convinced that they loved God and you couldn't convince them of anything different. I mean, just think about this. How do you measure how much you love God? Because you, you, you have people tell you all the time that they love God. But how do you really know that you are? How do you really know that they are? Is it because you listen to Christian music only? That's the only kind of music you listen to? Is it that you read your Bible and that you pray every day? Is it that you're in a small group Bible study every kind of week, every week? Like, how do you measure if you really love God? Because here's the thing. If you tell me you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, I can't see what's in your heart, soul, and mind. And if I tell you that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, you can't see what's in my heart and my soul and my mind. So is it really true when a person says, I love God? And how can you know? Well, Jesus is about, about to define for us in this conversation in a way that these Pharisees or this expert in the law did not see coming for how we love God. And he's going to do it in a way that is very tangible and very measurable. And it's in a way that's often different than the way that we measure if we love God. So before this expert in the law can even reply to Jesus' statement here, Jesus says this next. Notice what he says. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and it's maybe like the experts thinking, wait just a second. We just asked for the greatest command. And, and Jesus is like, it's like Jesus is saying, but there's not just one command. There are two that are the greatest, but the two are really just one and the same. You should love your neighbor as yourself because whenever you love your neighbors yourself, then you are loving God. It's just like loving God. And too many of us, especially if you were in church, grew up in church world, been around church world for a while, we kind of push back on this at times. Because our thing is, but you know, I want to love God, but I don't want to have to love my neighbor. Because Jesus came along, as most of you know, and he redefined neighbor to be every person from every nation, from every generation. That is your neighbor. And we go, I just want to love God because that is so much easier. And, and then the reality is, we don't necessarily say it this way, but this is true. And then nobody really knows if I'm really loving, really loving God or not. I'm not accountable if I just say I'm going to love God. But Jesus comes along, and in this conversation, he changes everything. He goes, no, you are accountable for how you love God. And there is a way to measure how much you really love God. In fact, Jesus tells us how to measure whether we really love God with our heart, with our soul, and our mind. And here's how he says it. Your love for God is authenticated and demonstrated by your love for others. This is how you really measure your love for God. Whether you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
Basically, if you summarize the teachings of Jesus, it is your love for God is authenticated and demonstrated by your love for others. In other words, you don't need to tell me you love God. I'll be able to tell how much you love God by how well you love the people around you. That's including your spouse. That's including your coworkers. That's including your siblings. That's including your parents. That is including all the people around you, the people in your neighborhood. See, your love for God is authenticated and demonstrated by your love for others, every person in your life. See, here's the deal. I don't really care how much Bible you know or how religious you are, how long you've been in church. Jesus says this, if you don't love others as Jesus loved you, then you really don't love God. That's how central this idea of loving others is to following Jesus. It is impossible to do one without the other. Now, that's pretty heavy when you stop and think about it. See, I, I mean, when you stop and think about it, don't miss this. This is incredible. You only love God to the degree that you love other people. And like I said, that includes everybody. Don't exempt. I watched this so many times. Don't exempt your spouse from this. Don't exempt your parents from this. Don't exempt your siblings from this. Don't exempt your coworkers from this. Don't exempt your neighborhood from this. This is everybody. You only love God to the degree that you love others. In fact, one of the most convicting statements that I recently heard was by Keith Giles when he said this statement. He says, if we really had a Christ-centered theology, then the greatest heresy would be failure to love others as Jesus commands. So let me just ask you this. If you're a person who really does want to love people, and I'm assuming that most of you are because that's why you're here, then why is it so difficult for you and why is it so difficult for me to love those people in my life, especially the people closest to me, those people in my family, those people I work with, those people in my community or my neighborhood? Why is it more difficult for me to love them? Well, the answer is actually in Jesus' response. Remember he said this? He says, I want you to love your neighbor as your what? Everybody say it with me on all the campuses. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Now, here's what you realize this morning. Do you realize that you cannot love others any more than you love yourself? And I, I, don't mean, I mean emotionally healthy kind of love. We're not talking about narcissistic self-love. But emotionally, spiritually healthy kind of love. It is impossible. Because here's why. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't extend something that you've not experienced. You can't offer something to someone else that you don't understand. See, this is why it explains the relational pattern that some of you have in life. Like, you'll be connected to this person, or you'll work with this person for a little while, or you'll hang out with this person for a little while, and then something happens that hurts your feelings, and guess what you do? You blame that person, and you move on. And then you hang out here over a while until something else upsets you, and then you hang out, and then, or you move on, and you start hanging out over here. It's like everywhere you go, you end up disappointed and disillusioned with people. You're disappointed and disillusioned with people in your family. You're always blaming your siblings or your parents for where you're at in life. You know, you're always blaming your, your um, co-workers for where you're at. Like, everywhere you go, you end up disappointed and disillusioned with the people you work with. And you always assume it's because those people, man, they're just not loving. Those people, man, they just don't care. 
Those people, they just can't be trusted. But if you look at your life, you just keep moving from relationship to relationship, from group of people to group of people, from church to church, and it's the same pattern over and over, repeating itself over and over. And let me just say, if you find yourself that every person you work with, you have a problem with, every person in your family, you have a problem with, every person in your neighborhood, you have a problem with, but other people get along with those people, and you just can't believe other people get along with those people because they're just so bad. Those people are so bad. Maybe you need to pause and think, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. Maybe you don't know how to love yourself. Here's why I say this. Hurting people hurt people the way they've been hurt. And loving people love people the way they've been loved. In other words, if you've been hurt in your past relationships, let's say your relationships with your parents, your relationship with your siblings, your relationship with some of your immediate family or maybe relationship at work or something, and you've never worked through that, you've never healed from that hurt, I can promise you that you're gonna find yourself unknowingly, and you're gonna blame everybody else, you're gonna find yourself unknowingly hurting other people. And the irony is, you'll probably hurt other people the same way that your parents or your family or your immediate family or your siblings or somebody close in your life hurt you. Like, you're going to treat them like you were treated. You're going to dismiss them like you were dismissed. You're going to lash out at them in some ways like somebody lashed out at you. And what you don't understand is that truly the source of your pain has nothing to do with that person as much as it has to do with the pain of your past. So anybody who comes across your path is eventually going to receive more hurt from you than love from you. It's impossible not to because hurts, what hurt is what has the most of your heart, your soul, and your mind. But you're going to blame everybody else because you don't realize it's because of your hurt and your pain that you are feeling hurt by everybody else. On the other hand, people who carry more love, don't miss this, people who carry more love than hurt in their hearts, in their soul, and in their mind, they are going to love others the way that they have experienced love in their heart and in their soul and in their mind. What's going to happen is a person who has more love in their heart and their soul and their mind, they're going to extend grace and they're going to extend patience and they're going to extend forgiveness and they're going to, underst they're going to extend for understanding to people. They'll come and they'll talk to you instead of talking to themselves or others about you. They'll be slow to blame and they'll be quick to own their part of the problem, especially in any kind of conflict. They're going to be really fast to forgive instead of nursing hurt and holding on to some kind of grudge. And they will not use guilt or shame to manipulate or demand their own way. They're not going to go, well, it's your fault if this happens or it's your fault if this turns out this way. I mean, that, people who are loving just don't do that. They're patient. They're kind. They're understanding. They can see things from a different perspective. They have the ability. People whose hearts and minds and soul are filled with more love than hurt, they have the ability to see things from another person's perspective. And they don't believe their, own, their perspective is the only perspective. Listen, 
here's what you have to understand about yourself. And this is so important. You don't respond to people based on who they are. You respond based upon who you are. Please understand this. You don't respond to your spouse. You, you don't respond to your children. You don't respond to your parents. You don't respond to your coworkers. You don't respond to the people in your neighborhood. You don't respond to the people in your extended family based on who they are. You respond based on who you are. That is why it is impossible for you to love your neighbor if you do not love yourself. Because you're always going to respond to your neighbor out of what's in your heart, what's in your soul, what's in your mind. If you have more hurt, you're going to respond out of hurt. If you have more love, you're going to respond out of love. See, if your heart, soul, and mind has all this unresolved hurt, all this unresolved pain, all this unresolved regret and insecurity, then that's what's going to happen when somebody crosses your path and you don't understand what's going on or when you start getting close to someone. See, that's why so many of us struggle to love others because you struggle to love because you struggle to love yourself. Listen, in the area or the areas that you get triggered by other people, don't miss this, this is so important. It took me years to learn this. But in the area or the areas that you get triggered by others, it is often a great indicator that is an area that you do not love yourself. See, when you love yourself, you're secure. When you don't love yourself, you're insecure. And then wherever you're insecure, what happens is your ego and your pride causes you to be triggered. And by the way, low self-esteem is a form of ego and pride. So just understand, your insecurity in life, it's going to cause you to get triggered by other people through your ego and pride. So how do you learn to love yourself? Well, in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christ followers in Ephesus, he explains, here's how you learn to love yourself so that you don't go around with your whole life blaming other people for where you're at when the reality is you don't know how to love yourself. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, the Apostle Paul starts off by reminding us that we are dearly loved children as we follow Jesus, which means this. If you want to love yourself, the Apostle Paul says, you need to start by realizing that you are a dearly loved child of God. Who are you loved by? You're loved by God. How valuable are you to God? How much does God love you? Well, you are valuable enough that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. He, he took on the form of human flesh. Think about it this way. How loved and valuable is a person? Well, uh, something is valuable by what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? Think about that. Have you ever sold a house? It's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. I mean, there's times when people, you know, in certain markets, people are like, I'm not willing to pay that. And you have to go below your selling price. Other markets, people are willing to pay more. So they'll go above it. They'll bid against each other for it, right? So how much are you worth? Man, Jesus gave his life for you. God came in human flesh. He, he didn't just sacrifice to show that he loved you. He sacrificed everything to show that he loved you. And then guess what he did? Notice this. Then he adopted you into his family. You are a dearly loved son or daughter of God. In fact, the reality is dearly loved 
is who I am. I want all of you to say that with me at all of our campuses. And that is this, dearly loved is who I am. Okay, let's say it together. Dearly loved is who I am. That is your identity. You need to walk out today understanding that is your identity. You are not a victim. You may have been victimized in life, but you are not a victim. That is not your core identity. You are not your past. You have a past, but you are not your past. You're not your regrets. I mean, you have some regrets in life, but those regrets, they only remind you. They do not define you. Understand, that is not your identity. You are a dearly loved child of God who is unconditionally loved by God. Think about it this way. God, more than anybody else or any, anyone else, including you, God knows more about you than even you know about you. He knows the thoughts that you hope nobody ever knows about you. He knows the motives that you don't even realize that you have that are wrong, that are based on your insecurities and your pride. He knows your anger. He knows your resentment. He knows your jealousy. He knows your bitterness. He knows all of those things that rattle around inside of you. He knows the things that you've said and things that you've done to intentionally hurt someone. He knows the things or the times that you wanted to hurt someone, but you really didn't have the guts to do that. I mean, he knows all the times that you secretly celebrated when somebody else failed or had some pain in their life. He knows the best of you, and he knows the worst of you, and he still says, hey, you are my dearly loved child. Now, folks, that is unconditional love. And when you embrace that as your identity, here's the thing. At that point in time, you can begin to love yourself. I want to say this to you, and you please hear my heart on this. If you are not truly secure in your identity in Christ, don't miss this. If you're not truly secure in your identity in Christ, the reality is you are going to be triggered by so many things, and your ego and your pride is going to sabotage your life. I mean, think about it this way. If Jesus Christ loves you enough to say that you are worth loving, who are you to say that you are not worth loving? If Jesus says you're worth enough to forgive you, who are you to say, I can't forgive myself for all these things? When, when Jesus says that you have value and you have something to offer and you have a purpose and a plan, who are you to say, uh, I don't know if I have a purpose or a plan? Now, here's the thing. When the Apostle Paul, then he says, once you understand your identity, that you are a dearly loved child of God, he says, once you recognize that, then you have the ability to follow God's example. Notice what his example is. Walk in the way of love. That's his example. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the Apostle Paul says, the way that we follow God's example in this culture is we learn to love like Jesus loved us. The way that we walk in the way of love is we follow God's example, and that's how we love. Now, that's hard. That's not easy. And here's the thing. He's not referring to some kind of emotional, some kind of sentimental, some kind of easy love. This isn't about loving the people who love us. This is not about loving the people who agree with us. This is as sons and daughters of God, we are responsible to demonstrate the supernatural, the sacrificial, the give ourselves up for another kind of love that Jesus has demonstrated over and over and over for us. I mean, think about it. As I said, he sacrificed his life on a Roman cross, not for his friends, 
Lots of people have made sacrifices for their friends. No, he laid down his life for his enemies. He paid for the sins of the people who wanted him dead and the people who crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Now, that's called being secure in who you are in your relationship with God. See, anybody can love people who love them. You, you don't have to have God's supernatural power to love people that love you. There's nothing supernatural about p loving people that are just like me. No, that's, that's what we all do. But what, what it means is you can't follow Jesus' example without God's supernatural kind of power enabling you to do that. That's the kind of love that the, we're going to see from the Apostle Paul. He says, man, that's what shines brightest in, the, in our culture in this day. I, I don't want you to miss this. You can only love people unconditionally when you feel like that you have been loved unconditionally. See, you have to have it to give it. You can't extend to others what you have not experienced. So if you're having a hard time loving that person or you're having a hard time loving those people, maybe it's because you have never recognized how much Jesus loves you in spite of all your failures, flaws, flops, all of those things that have just caused you not to love yourself. Now, here's what happens whenever we truly understand that we are dearly loved children of God. Notice verse 8. For you were once darkness. Let's just pause there for just a minute. See, when we don't understand that we're dearly loved children, then we only see ourselves in darkness. We only see ourselves as unlovable. Because we see all of our dark parts, all of our limitations, all the things that we can't do. We see all the dark parts of our lives. However, the Apostle Paul says, but when you realize that you are dearly loved, it changes you and you see the whole world differently. You, you start seeing yourself and others from a different perspective. He says, now you are light in the Lord. He says, so when you know that you're loved, he says, then you start living as children of, of light and you start seeing the world completely different. You start seeing people completely different, which means if we lived as people of light, people who had one nothing to do or who people who were nothing like us, they might actually lean into us and go, hey, what's going on in your life? How can you be so loving? And don't you think that we might be more effective in earning the right to, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus if we were truly loving toward people instead of we were out picketing and protesting and petitioning everything on blobs, blogs and podcasts and, and social media? See, see, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he believed that it's really not that hard or not that complicated to impact and influence a culture that doesn't believe or behave like us. No, he, he basically says, hey, here's what we're responsible to do. We're just responsible to walk in the way of love. So what does that mean practically? Well, I want to give you three challenges to help you understand how to live this out practically. So you might want to write these down. And they vary in difficulty. In fact, the first challenge is probably going to be the most difficult for many of you. You want to write this down. Here's the first one. You need to love yourself. See, nobody else may know, but you know all the negative things that you tell yourself. You know all the negative thoughts that you think about yourself. Now, you would never let somebody else talk to your friends or your family the way that you talk to yourself. You are meaner to you than anybody else. See, maybe you don't love yourself because someone 
you know, beside God, defined how you view yourself. And normally, you know, it's our family of origin. Something happened back in that, that era of our life or somebody else that came along that was very influential in our life. Maybe you don't love yourself because somebody else has defined who you are. Maybe it's because you have regrets that you've never forgiven yourself for. Or, or maybe you have limitations and you're jealous of other people and you're always competing with everybody else to be the king of the hill. And you don't understand that God designed you and created you and he has a special place and purpose for you. And when you get in that place and purpose, even though you're not gonna be king of the hill, you may maybe several rungs down the ladder, all of a sudden it's like, man, I am fruitful and fulfilled and this is the most blessed life I could ever have. So here's the thing. I wanna challenge you. You do the hard work of learning to love yourself. That, that is the hardest work you'll ever do on your spiritual and emotional well-being. In every of your area of your life where you don't love yourself, you are going to get triggered by other people because your ego and your emotions are going to kick in because you're always in competition with other people. That's why you get triggered. So find out what God says about you and refuse to let it go. Memorize verses that God says about you. Read books that help you understand that, hey, this is what God thinks about me. Go see a counselor and get some help processing what is in you. Do whatever it takes to learn to see yourself as God sees you because you'll never walk in the way of love if you can't love your neighbor. And when we say neighbor, we mean spouse. We mean children. We mean parents. We mean coworkers. We mean neighbors in our neighborhood people we bump into at the ballpark, people we bump in at the grocery store. If you can't love them as Jesus loved you, so do whatever it takes. Listen, I'm just telling you, you gotta learn to love yourself. Because if you don't, you're just gonna spend time blaming everybody else for who you are and where you're at in life. That's all you're gonna do. You're gonna spend your whole life, waste every, all your potential in life blaming other people for who you are and where you're at in life. And I'm just telling you, as a pastor, it absolutely breaks my heart to see so many people wasting their life blaming other people when the real lid in their life is they don't love themselves. So that's the first challenge. It's the hardest one. Here's the second challenge. And, and some of you have thought this is the hardest one, but no, once you learn to love yourself, this one gets so much easier. Here it is. You need to learn to love those people. You, you know who that person is? You know who those people are? I mean, you have nursed your hurt toward them for years. You have refused to let you go of your grudges for years. You've talked about them to yourself. You're always having conversations in your head with them and about them. You talk to others about them all the time. You let little slips come out all the time, just letting people know that you're discontent and dissatisfied with your spouse or your children or your parents or your coworkers or your neighbor, but you refuse to talk to them. And you blame them for all your problems. Like you choose to believe the worst about them instead of assuming the best about them. And that's because you've got more hurt in your heart than you've got love. See, you can't love your neighbors yourself unless you're willing to love those people and learn how to love those people that you are in conflict with. And I'm just telling you, if you will choose to learn to love them, man, your life will change. See, you gotta learn to forgive even if they never ask for forgiveness. You need to learn how to work toward reconciliation as much as it lies, as Apostle Paul says, as much as the power lies within you. And I'm just telling you, that's tough. These two, love yourself, love those people. You know who that person is. You know who those people are. Man, those are tough. But this one gets easier when you learn to do this one. Now, the third one is much easier. It's challenging, but it's much easier, and it'll have a big impact. And this is one we're inviting you to be a part of this week, and that is this, love our heroes. See, there are people in our communities who just serve selflessly, 
I mean, man, they are, they are meeting so many needs of hurting people in our communities every week. And for the past several years, I mean, our heroes are those people who have been like on the front line serving you, serving your family, serving your neighbors. Those on the front line, especially those that have served us medically, and those on the front line that are serving our children in our schools. So this week, we want them all to know that we appreciate what they do in all of our communities. So here's what we're challenging everybody to do. As you leave today... We want you to stop and pick up one or two, no, let's say 10, maybe 10 cards, 10 cards that are in an envelope. They're already addressed to a local medical hero that has served our communities. And each card has the name of a specific person that serves our community. There is a stamp on it. There's an address on it. All you have to do is write a note and drop it in the mail. And maybe you could even do away with some of your extra spending that you do on your $5 coffees and $10 coffees and that kind of stuff. And you could drop a gift card in there for them and you sacrifice, because remember, love always requires sacrifice, and drop that gift card in instead of spending that money on yourself. I mean, it's just a simple way to let them know that we see and we appreciate them and let them know that they're loved. And let me just remind you, there's only one for every local hero. So if you pick up one, make sure you mail it. Other, otherwise, that person may not get one and all their coworkers are going to get one and they're going to wonder why they're left out. And they're going to have to come find you and point you out that you didn't send that to them. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Here, here's the great thing about all this. So not only are you going to be doing this, but also our children and our student ministries, they're going to be partnering and showing love as well. Their focus is going to be those that are serving in our schools by writing cards and preparing gifts. So we've taken some of the funds that you've given us and we bought some gifts that they're going to put with these cards and give to all the teachers and all the administrators at, at all of our schools in, in our local communities. And so today, in fact, in Wombaland and Upstreet, your children are going to be receiving the details about this opportunity with dates and times that this is going to be happening on your campus. And so this week... Uh, you just need to be looking at that and making time, plant time as a family to plan around how you can help get those thank you cards out to all the teachers and administrators and all the people who work in our schools. Now, also, on, on Sunday evening or Wednesday evening, whenever your student ministry meets on your campus, our students are also going to be participating in writing cards. And we're going to try to partner students who give teachers a really hard time with that teacher. No, I'm just teasing. But here's the thing. So together, what we're really trying to do is we are trying to love our community. We're trying to love our medical community. We're trying to love our educational community so that they really understand, hey, we see and we appreciate what's going on. And parents, let me just say a word to you about this. This is an opportunity when your children bring this stuff home and say, hey, here's, here's how we can participate in this. Kind of be the model to your children by participating with them and showing them that, hey, we are for their teacher. We're for their school administrator. We're for the people that work in their schools. We're for them. And here's the thing, your children are going to get this information for how and when you can participate. So make sure you're looking through their information they give you today. I, I just want all of us to just really kind of imagine as, as we get ready to close out our time today, like imagine the impact we can have on our communities in these coming weeks as we give the funds that you gave several weeks ago, as we serve the nonprofits that you signed up to serve last Sunday. And then if all of us, 100% of us, we show love by taking the time to write a card and say thank you and include a gift card. Some of you are going, man, that's going to be a sacrifice for me to sit down and figure out how to write a card. Oh, it is going to be a sacrifice. 
That's what love requires of us. Love always requires sacrifice. So when we talk about being for our communities, here's what I know. We can only be for others to the extent that we know that God is for us. We can only love others to the degree that God, or we understand that God loves us. And here's why this matters so much. As we have reminded you for the past three weeks, you are the church. In fact, we believe this so much that some years ago, I wrote this statement to remind us that we are the church. In fact, we've said this for the last three weeks. So I'm not even going to go through it with you before. Let's just put it up on the screen and let's just all say it together, all of our campus. Here we go. I am the church. What I am, the church is. When I serve, the church serves. When I reach out, the church reaches out. When I give, the church gives. When I love, the church loves. And when I don't, the church doesn't. I am the church. Listen, this church, any church, is only going to be as loving as the people in the church. See, the church is not a pastor. The church is not a staff. And when people say, well, my church doesn't, or my, they're really just looking in the mirror going, well, I don't do that. Because our church is whatever you do. Now, it's interesting. I had a mom this week. She sent this picture to me. This is a pretty amazing picture here because um, I had a card that I was going to show you guys. Um, she said her car was in the shop and she had to use her son's truck. And her son is 16 years old. And by the way, at 16 years of age, he paid cash for this truck out of his own personal money. Parents, there is a lesson on parenting. I can introduce you to that family if you want to know who they are because they can teach you. You do not have to buy a car for your vehicle and you can train your kids so that when your car breaks down as a parent, you can use your child's vehicle. But this is the, here's even the bigger thing. This card, I don't know if you can see this picture real good, but this card that we give everyone and engage to remind us all that we are church, it's, it's kind of cranked and put into a crease in his dashboard in his truck. And she said, I was so impressed that my son was reminding himself every day he got in his truck that he's the church. She said, but that wasn't a big thing. She said, the big thing was I got a gut punch from the Holy Spirit. Because she said, I got in his truck basically grumbling because she was going to help another family who was having trouble. And her car was in the shop and she was kind of grumbling because she was having to use her, her son's truck. And she was having to help another family using when her car was broke down and she said i just was gut punched i'm the church my attitude reflects who the church is listen we all need this reminder every day in every way that our attitude and our actions in everything we do and everything we say is a reflection of jesus christ because you are the church listen if this is important enough for a 16 year old to put it in front of them, it's important for a lot of you who've been in church a lot longer. Let me just tell you why. Because see, you think being part of the church is you come, you sit, you sing, you listen to a sermon, and somehow you're spiritual. And you forgot that being the church means I love. And love is reflected by giving and serving and reaching in my actions, in my attitude every day and in every way. So our question to you is this today. Will you pick up several of these cards and write a note of appreciation and even drop a gift card in the card? And then just give a little bit of your time to love somebody who, who can't do anything in return. Listen, if we want to be a church that is known for who and what we're for, we have to be people who love ourselves so that we can go love our neighbors. And I'm just going to tell you, 
When we do that, it absolutely will change our community for Jesus Christ. See, our love for God, it is demonstrated and authenticated by our love for other people. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to let you go. And you have a little extra time to go pick up some cards and take them home and show some love. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. Help us to love as you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.